Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. Thank you for joining this live broadcast. Remember, this is a live broadcast. If you're just joining us midstream or at any other point during the program, you can catch us afterwards on the podcasting platforms immediately after the show up at 21Wire, Spreaker.com, and of course at the AlternateCurrentRadio.com website there. Uh, and also later we'll be on iTunes, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, all the main podcasting platforms will be up there later this evening and then tomorrow morning, depending on what time zone you're in. So you can listen at your leisure uh, during the week, as many of our listeners do. Hello to everybody uh, in the chat room at 21stCenturyWide.com and hello to the gang on the Discord server uh, there at ACR. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Now our next guest, uh, whoever you are listening, uh, if you do listen to this show or you're new, uh, it's very likely, in fact, it's highly likely, uh, that you have seen the work of our next guest. Uh, he is a uh, political cartoonist, uh, but much more than that, much more than that, he's got an incredible story uh, as well. Uh, our next guest, his name is Bob Moran. He is based in the UK. And uh, he's got an incredible story to tell because we all came to know his work mainly uh, as a result of the, uh, I use the air quotes, Basil, the pandemic, right. using the air quotes. Right. And uh, so we want to welcome him on to the Sunday Wire. Hello, Bob. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Basil. It's great to have you with us this week. And um, uh, I don't know where to start, Bob, but I just want to say, first off the bat, um, you're you're just doing incredible work um, and the, the timeliness of your entrance onto the uh, information sphere, or should I say the uh, the mimetic the mimetic plane uh, that, that we're all kind of operating on here, whether you're in the media, whether you're an activist, whether you're on social media, um, it's been absolutely incredible. So just to Thank to you. start with, t tell us how you managed to, how you were thrust into this space, um, Bob, in, in this kind of b rebirth. <laughs> it's, it's an incredible turn in your career, isn't it? Yes, um, it is a kind of renaissance thing. It's, I'm still adjusting to it myself, this... Um, new trajectory for my career that this is not something i expected to happen um i i was pretty much set uh, in my my cushy job at the telegraph you know that that was going to be me until i was probably 75 80 um and i either got dragged out of there or, or you know fell fell down dead at my desk um <laughs> that's the way these things tend to go uh cartoonists don't retire and um then this has come along and completely changed it. Now I, I don't really know where I'll be in five years' time, ten years' time. I don't know where my career could lead. Uh, and I didn't expect it, you know, and I didn't even at the beginning of this when I, um, when I took a position of being against it and understood that it was bonkers and immoral and unscientific and undemocratic and illegal and all of these things, uh, you know, my attitude was, well... Uh, I'm doing this cartoon this week and I, I presume tomorrow or the next day there'll be a similar cartoon in The Guardian or The Independent or the, because this is so obvious. There's no getting away from this. Uh, and if you're a cartoonist, that's your job is to call out government lies and hypocrisy uh, to try and give 
a, a true picture uh, to the public to read between the lines of, of what these uh, BS merchants are spewing in their speeches all the time. That should be your instinctive goal as a cartoonist. And um, after a few weeks, I realized I was out on my own on this battlefield. And uh, in fact, a lot of my my uh, colleagues or, or peers were actually charging towards me on the side of the the uh, government propagandists and um it's a very strange very strange feeling and uh, uh yeah i was fortunate for i suppose the first 18 months i could i could kind of um say what i wanted to working for a mainstream newspaper uh, in fact i was given a lot of freedom probably more freedom than i'd ever had previously and then um the the walls started closing in and uh there was a lot more restrictions. I was being nudged, particularly in the pro-vaccine direction, and um, things got quite awkward. Uh, and eventually I was fired at the end of last year, which was... Yeah, go, go ahead, sorry. No, no, go ahead Go ahead and finish, Bob. Uh, my, my sacking was on the face of it uh, due to some tweets, a couple of tweets I sent at a, an NHS doctor, um, who was promoting lockdowns and teenage vaccines and masks and everything? Um, but actually, there was a there was a longer backstory there, and it was, uh, I suppose, the final nail in the coffin of a fairly prolonged campaign from various colleagues and other people uh, who wanted me gone because I wasn't prepared to subscribe to the narrative to the extent that they wanted me to. And, 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 you know, and, and how do you, you know, the, a lot of this has to do, Bob, with, with the timeline. You know, that's where you were on the timeline back then. And that, that's how the, uh, the forces were, uh, uh, you know, aligned at that time with a lot against you. So when you were, yes. when you were on that side of, of this, you know, this battle, um, which changed as you moved, is the, the numbers were growing every, every, the numbers in opposition were growing every day, you know. Um, I could, you know, how do you feel now looking back? Because, the, you know, when you, when you crossed over out of your mainstream job, the opposition movement was substantial, but it's nothing like it is now. Um, how does that That's feel? Right. How does that feel looking back? Um, I mean, I think, uh, I think it was the right, the right time for me to be, um, moving out of the mainstream media, um, if you like. And, you know, I, I knew that, um, I, cause the thing is I could have fought to keep my job, you know, it wasn't like, uh, I didn't have options, but, um, I knew deep down that it made sense for me to be to be leaving the Telegraph and, and actually leaving mainstream media and um, finding a way of getting more creative freedom and, and being able to reach a wider audience um, because I'd already begun to build a completely different audience from the one I'd had just working for the newspaper. And um, I was aware that that was growing and it was the movement was gaining momentum. Uh, and so in... in in a way, it was, uh, it's difficult to say. You know, sometimes people say, oh, getting fired was the best thing that ever happened to me. It, it was not a pleasant thing to go through. And um, I've lost an awful lot 
from losing that job. You know, I've lost a lot of security. My income's taken a hit. Um, my routine, my way of life, my family life, I've had to make a lot of adjustments for it. But uh, in terms of my my kind of um, job satisfaction and how, how um, inspired I feel, how creatively free I am, I'm very grateful for the position I'm in now. Uh, you know, that, that was the thing at the beginning, really, that I say to people, I, I didn't feel like I was brave or, or sticking my neck out. I just felt very lucky that I was somebody with a platform and an audience, with, you know, who could reach people. So I thought, this is great. I can say things. I can say what I think needs to be said um, in a straightforward, powerful way using my cartoons. Uh, I'm so lucky to be able to do that. And, and the one the one cartoon that uh, it, it, it just kind of blew a lot of people away at the time was Stand Firm, where you have this ominous kind of monster type character and then the mother uh, protecting her child and the, the monster's holding a syringe in his hand. And it's just it's it was epic, but it, it totally encapsulated the deep seated emotional like the primordial fear that a lot of people um felt at the time and you know that was a real breakthrough moment that 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 thing went so viral um yes uh, yeah tell us, Alex tell us about that show and everything um that that cartoon is um one of the fastest pieces of work i've ever done actually it was kind of very odd how uh, normally there's some degree of planning involved you know you have an idea, you do a little sketch, you, you think it through, but um, that was done in the kind of heat of the moment. I was feeling very emotional and just came out onto the page, um, fully formed almost. And, you know, that's not usually how I work. That's, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not um, as arty as that, if I can put it that way. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny you know you were saying before about how the the narrative has changed so much as time has gone on and actually when i when i first put that piece out um we weren't quite that those people on our side understood that this was a very real danger coming for our children but uh other people thought it was over the top you know like well this isn't happening how do you you know they aren't gonna they aren't gonna start vaccinating children that would be mad you know we still had in this country um matt hancock had said several times this is not going to be for children and so it's that thing of i mean all the way through i've had this problem of i'm not i'm not prepared to wait for the narrative to catch up you know if i know something is true now i'll say it now and um, that's what if I thought if I'm going to do an image like this uh, don't put it out after they've started you know that's that's too late try and inspire these parents to um, to take a stand now and protect their children from this I mean evil it is evil what's happened um, and I think some, I mean, some people said, oh, why did you do a, a mother? This is quite interesting, I suppose. Oh, uh, you know, I'm a dad and I want to protect my children. And um, it, I, again, I didn't really think about it because it was a very instinctive cartoon. But I think um, there's something more powerful that having a, a mother protecting her child um, 
not that not that we you know dads can't can't stand up and defend our children but um i i think maybe overall maybe perhaps the women have been a bit braver um through this they've been more willing to to stand up i think they have um more of that fighting instinct when it comes to their children, you know. Yeah, the the lot of nurse whistleblowers, you know, a lot of mm. women stepping up in a in a big big way. You you've also got fight for you this this other more recent uh, cartoon with the mother holding her child, and then there's a shield with syringes in it. She just like at war with the vaccine uh, machine, as it were, uh, and she's she's resting there on the hillside, looking up at the sky with a campfire going it, it, that's a very iconic it's almost like a sequel to uh to, to to the stand firm one yeah that's right that's very that's almost exactly what it what it was um in i collaborated with uh, with five times august um on that and he said how much he'd been inspired to write the song um by the stand firm piece so it was a bit of a challenge. How do I do something that's the same vibe but a different image? And um, yeah, you're right. It's, it's sort of a, a sequel piece, I suppose. Um, it's it's very difficult this striking this balance because obviously uh, most of what I do is satire and it's humour and it, there's silliness and I'm mocking people. But occasionally through this, um, there have been times when you you feel you need to put out something quite emotional, and um, that's that's something I had to I I sort of discovered about myself that I could inject this emotion into my work. It's not something I'd needed to do before. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's it, so you're you're way you're way beyond I think what uh, the the normal remit of your previous. Um, you know, a phase in your career as a political cartoonist yet that you're taking it in, with th those types of um, images, you're, you're taking it and it's, it's takes it to a whole nother dimension, I think. Right. I mean, I, I, yeah, I suppose I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as a political cartoonist anymore. Um, because like I keep saying, this is way beyond politics always has been, mm. you know, this is all encompassing. This is everything about, humanity society ethics um politics is just is just one aspect and you know you can't go ahead go ahead you can't um just ignore the the seriousness of uh, of what's at stake and the dangers and, and you know it's important to mock people it's also important to give people comic relief and that, that cathartic humor is really important but but sometimes you have to um reveal the kind of dark reality behind it all and uh so so you, as as a cartoonist or as a commentator you know you've you know you're keeping abreast normally your you know your job is to keep abreast of the ebb and flow of you know what's going yeah. on politically culturally trends you're kind of you, you've got your finger on the pulse of the kind of memetics or the mem warfare. I suppose that your, you know, your work as a as a political cartoonist or what you are now, it's it's more of a refined uh, component of. In fact, uh, you could say car cartoons are 
an age-old component, if not the forerunner of like mo- modern mem warfare. I think I don't know if you how you yes. the, the mem thing has just exploded, but you're you're off on a kind of you're on the same kind of uh, you're in the same space, but you're doing it slightly more refined. Um, your work's more, I think, considered. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. But yeah, it's, what do you think about yeah, the mem warfare? That's an interesting um, element to all this, which, you know, to be honest, sometimes it, it really annoys me, the mem warfare stuff, or the, in the sense that um, something happens, you know, story breaks, for example, monkeypox, and within minutes, anybody, anywhere can throw together an image, get grab a photo, stick someone's head on it, write a caption, and they can put it on Twitter and everyone sees it. And um, I see it and I'll go, okay, so I have to cross that off my list. You know, that's not something I can do. And my work is, you know, the the, the fastest I can produce something is maybe in a couple of hours. Um, so it's a challenge for me, right? I, I have to kind of think of things that are different from those um and, um, like you say, it's not the same because it's actually a hand-drawn, hand-painted artwork. So um, you can do, and, and you can do things um, still working in the medium I do that you can't do with just basic Photoshop skills. So I have to think about that. You know, how can I use my skill set to do something that's sufficiently different? But I mean, that's just if I'm feeling grumpy, I get annoyed with them. Overall, I think that I think it's a good thing. Um, I enjoy a lot of them, and um, I, I mean, I guess maybe occasionally over the past uh, six months or so, I have put out cartoons that are more um, like a, like a cross between a cartoon and a meme or, or meme, whatever you want to call it. Um, whereas I. I wouldn't have done that before because I was kind of uh, constricted and, you know, um, I had to produce what is a conventional political cartoon to go in a newspaper, which I don't have to do anymore. Yeah, the, the, the stand firm, that, 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 that's like a, a, a graphic novel. It, it, it's got the feeling of a, you know, a, cla- a real old school graphic novel. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, well, people said, it was, is there something a bit cinematic about it? Or one of my friends said, it's like a cool heavy metal album cover. Yeah. Um, it's got that kind of feel. <laughs> um, but that's the great thing now is, I mean, actually, I did I did stand firm while I was still working for The Telegraph. Um, there, there were several, several cartoons I put out over that summer when I was on paternity leave. I had a very long paternity leave. Um and I just wanted to keep producing some work. And so I'd put out a cartoon maybe every couple of weeks or something. And that was when I did Stand Firm. And I suppose um, during that period, I, I got a taste for what it's like not to have to be negotiating with editors and to have to work to a really tight deadline and to be um, creatively constrained in all those ways. And so maybe that having done that, made the process of of my losing my job a bit easier um because i'd had a taste of that you know 
Yeah, we've got your website here, bobmoran.co.uk. There's a link on the show page. I'm looking at your work right now. Plus, you've got prints. You've got uh, you've got T-shirts. You've got some uh, merchandise as well. So, uh, yeah, I guess. That's right. Uh, it, it's yeah it, so yeah this is they become kind of cultural um uh, no they're kind of cultural pieces they're they represent a time in history for a lot of people people associate your work with uh, events and famous people uh you know what's 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 transpired over the last two years so kind of almost That's like pop art in a way but yeah it's um though some people say you know cynical friends or whatever or, or former friends will say well why are you doing this what do you hope to, hope to achieve you know do you think you're going to change anybody's mind and i'll say i don't know i don't think of myself that highly and i don't believe you know what's happening can be stopped with a with an amazing cartoon you know um but aside from anything else at least I think in the future, if people are still allowed to study history, I mean, that's a big if, I suppose. But um, if we can get through all this and people look back, at least in my work, they have a visual record of the fact that not everyone went along with this stuff. You know, there was some opposition. Some people were, were trying to warn about where it was going. Uh, hi, Bob. It's Basil here. I was just going to say, you said you no longer hi, consider Basil. yourself a, a political cartoonist. I, I mean, in fact, um, the redundancy of politics, traditional politics, has been highlighted by the last couple of years. There's almost no differentiation between the major parties anymore on the important stuff. Um, you know, the good exactly. old days of po poking fun at the prime minister and all the rest of it. Uh, I mean, of course... One can still do that, but it's not as if the, the opposition are, are any better or as if there's any sort of interplay that, that's worth highlighting. It's come down to much more fundamental questions of individual personal bodily sovereignty and ethics and good and evil. Yes, and sort of like now we're at a point where 99% of these people have been, you know, called out, measured and found wanting, right? They failed the test and they shouldn't actually be in any positions of authority. So it just is weird to me that now in the mainstream media, you still have uh, the same old columns and commentaries and, and speculations about who could win the next election. I think this is, this is mad. They should be on trial, these people, not standing for election. Mm. Um, this is, when I started working for the Telegraph in 2011, politics was so boring. It was the coalition years with Nick Clegg, David Cameron and Ed Miliband and pretty much nothing ever happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, now, there are times when I miss those days now, um, to be honest, but it's... Uh, and then I, I suppose as a cartoonist, you you tend to have this view, or I, I had this view of, um, I think it's really important to mock these people and hold them to account and, and make sure you keep their egos in check. But underlying that, you have this view that most of them, or at least some of them, must be fundamentally decent at their core. You know, politicians must care at least a bit about us, the people. That, that they're elected to serve and it turns out they don't I mean they genuinely don't and they are prepared to 
commit the most horrific crimes um, against us. Uh, violent these these violations of of what democracy should stand for, uh, and, and like you say, bodily autonomy, um, basic agency over one's life has been trashed, and the hypocrisy is just through the roof every day. They've just become professional hypocrites. I mean, politicians have always been hypocrites, but it's it's like a, another league now, the hypocrisy. Yeah, there's only the sort of the thinnest veneer of pretending to care about or even represent um, the, you know, the general population. I think this is even more acute in the United States where people seem to have congressional and Senate seats for life and you've got a virtual gerontocracy going on with, um, you know, the likes of uh, Biden and Pelosi, obviously Maxine Waters, Chucky Schumer, you know, well into their 70s or 80s. Yeah. How many times has Pelosi been re reelected to... It's, it's a ridiculous number, isn't it, I think? It, yeah, it's like... It, it's two, <laughs> they're, they're two-year terms. The reason the, yeah. the founding fathers made them two-year terms because they, you know, they had to keep their finger on the pulse because it's the people's house. And so yeah. elections were every two years, but it, it's, it's, it's become a kind of a rollover. <laughs> I think she's had... She's what? Uh, 19, 16 terms or something. 1974 <laughs> no, or something like that. No, more than that then, isn't it? A lot more than that. Oh, yeah, I know. It's it, like 25 consecutive terms. Tw 20 terms? I don't yeah, know. Anyway, yeah. Maybe it's 20, I think I heard 20 something, yeah, it, the other day. Maybe it's 20. So it. Maybe it's only 40 years in Congress. I don't know. But Strom. So no term limits, you know. Uh, I mean, I don't see why people have been saying, first of all, every two years is ridiculous because they start campaigning again after a year. Well, yeah, they don't have to campaign too much because the no. districts are pretty small. So the, right. the high incumbency uh, retention. Return rate, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, you begin to you, you begin to question what what um, what democracy has ever existed or at least what what has been the true nature of democracy over the past, say, 50, 60 years. Mm. Uh, have we ever had it in the in the way that we thought it existed or not? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think it's, yeah. I'm extremely suspicious of some British general elections. I'm afraid to say, let alone the last few American general elections. Uh, and of course, this yeah. next week we've got the World Economic Forum gathering um, with their placemen in Canada, New Zealand, France, and you know many others. They boast about their ability to groom politicians for high office and then of course use the mainstream media to vilify anybody who deviates from that narrative and uh, i think that's something that can be pointed yes. up in cartoons particularly cleverly well you're right the narrative um has always been this was always the case when i was working for the paper you know every year when davos happens it's, uh, it's seen as a joke. It's um, this totally uh, inconsequential gathering of weird rich guys who just pat each other on the back for a few days and talk about how they can make more money. Um, but we don't need to worry about it. We don't really need to, you know, the readers don't know about it because it's, it, it's nothing. It's um, totally irrelevant. A harmless and, uh, talking shop. Yes, yeah, exactly. And it's um, clearly now that, you know, part of what people are beginning to understand is that that's nonsense, that's rubbish. You know, these people have real power 
and influence. And as you say, they've been uh, grooming these politicians for years, training them up, putting them in various positions in different countries. Um, it seems uh, mainly so that they could um, orchestrate this whole thing that we're going through now. And so, but but probably still, if you're in working for a mainstream paper and you said, you know, oh, I'd like to do a piece on trying to expose the Davos men and their power and influence, you'd be labelled a nutcase. And like the the other thing is, you you probably heard this, Bob. I, I want to ask your opinion on this point because everyone's it's become a kind of a a talking uh, a mem a, a mem in itself. They say the left can't mem. You hear this a lot in uh, conservative circles in the United in, in the U.S., for instance. The left can't yep. mem, and there's some truth to that, but it's not a particularly for partisan reasons per se. But I wanted to ask you because you work, you're in the, you're on that battle line. You're 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 on the front line of mimetic warfare in what you do, and mm. satire only works a certain way. Or in other words, you you have to kind of have, is my understanding anyway. You got to have a kind of a moral high ground or some kind of an ethical high ground based on some kind of. Uh, fundamental principles, and if you don't have that, you you can't. It doesn't work as well. Uh, you're not the voice of the people. Um, can you can you speak yeah. to this issue? How how do you look at that dynamic? Because it's hard to articulate sometimes. But I wanted to to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, that I mean that's very true. Um, that you need some kind of moral principles, and I think they could. There was a time when. You could have those and um, describe yourself as either part of the the right or the left. Um, the part of the problem is woke doctrine doesn't really allow for satire. The two things don't go together. Right. Right. Because because you have you don't have a clear set of principles. You have a confused uh, a mess of hypocrisy with with. The whole that's what woke is for you know it's it's moral discombobulation and so uh you you find that that the satire doesn't work when it's attempted because all it is is reinforcing of the orthodoxy you know that's satire is supposed to challenge an orthodoxy or, or a kind of uh, commonly held view or people in power uh the people in power want everybody to subscribe to woke and um, woke is clearly nonsensical and, and is the thing that comedians, satirists, cartoonists should be mocking, um, but they can't because they've all bought into it. And most of them have. It's very strange how the left right thing, um, the vast majority of cartoonists in this country have always been of the left um, and it's uh, you know a lot of the ones still working today are you know of a socialist persuasion um, and they, they're kind of uh, some of them quite radical and that worldview seemed to uh, produce more cartoonists and, and I guess maybe satirists overall it was it was less common to find people of a you know small C conservative mindset who were 
big, you know, wanted to be a cartoonist, for example. Um, I'm not entirely sure why that is, but it's definitely changed now because those dividing lines have pretty much disappeared between right and left. And people are suddenly finding that they've got more in common with people who previously were their political enemies than they do with people they always thought were on the same page as them. Yeah, the the glory, the glory in the United States anyway, the golden years of the glory years of, of political cartoons, um, sort of late nineteenth century is probably the same in in the UK. I would imagine with Sketch Magazine, you have all these amazing cartoonists that were the they were the kind of star photographers, the equivalent of their day, or you know, yes. they got paid huge amounts of money to illustrate yeah. for publications so but they were taking on in america they were taking on the uh the 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 fat cats the monopolists the the bankers they were taking on you know the oligarchy uh of the time and you know supporting the you know up-and-coming labor union movements and you know the upton sinclair kind of issues you know with uh uh, that that time of in history and and they've been really they rode that wave for a long time, they rode that wave right into the late twentieth century, and yes and as you said now it, it, that whole uh, paradigm is is disintegrating into something else. You know we all UK cartoonists used to used to meet up a couple of times every year, um, whether it was for awards or, or just to go and have drinks in London and things because we all got on quite well. And um, we like to, you know, complain about editors and, and compare notes on paints and papers and things that no one else finds interesting. And uh, But they, they would always mock me. They would often tease me saying, well, what's it like to be paid to produce Tory propaganda? <laughs> and <that's it's, laughs> you know, and it's like uh, um, over the past two years, they've, they've all done exactly that. You know, they are now shilling for Big Pharma. Yeah. And, and I'm doing what I fully expected. Yeah, I'm the outsider. It's uh, quite a, an odd turnaround. Yeah, what what was Steve Bell's position? Because he's uh, always been pretty radical and, you know, even got into a bit of trouble. He, he got demoted by The Guardian, didn't he, for, was it something to do with Palestine? Well, I'm not entirely sure on the details of um, of what happened there between between Steve and the... Guardian. Um, he is. Uh, he's been working for the Guardian for a long time, and he's very popular. I think still. I don't know. I mean, he was yeah, with the readers definitely. And so um, they gave him a lot of editorial freedom. Yeah. yeah. And uh, are you, have you ever been down to the London Sketch Club and and Chelsea, Bob? And you seen the, their Hall of Fame up there? Um, all the, all the Sorry, I just lost you. I just lost you for a second there, Patrick. No, I was going to ask you the, the London Sketch Club. It's in uh, Chelsea. Yes. Uh, have you, oh yes. Have you ever been down there and seen their hall? I've of never. Yeah. No, never been there. That's pretty incredible. Um, yeah. But uh, they were the rock stars. The, the back before photography, illustrators were like they were regarded. Uh, that was one of the highest sort of uh, most lauded positions. Um, in, in, in publishing and in, in media and everything. That's yeah. right. I was in the Royal Pavilion That's here in Brighton last week and uh, there's a collection of Hogarths. Yeah. Um, and uh, they were sort of the um, 
it's hard to think of it uh, in terms of a modern comparison because of course with no radio television or any other other sort of broadcast media and let alone internet that we have the, the chap who produced the satire with the drawings of the king and queen and the court and all the rest of it with uh, lots of speech bubbles as well often a dozen speech bubbles on the same cartoon that was kind of yep. like a half hour sketch show um satire it rolled into one illustration that's right people would gather and, and go and look at a, a big hogarth picture and you know you could spend a long time finding different things yes uh in it and, and there was um so a figure people in this country don't really learn about but, uh, John Wilkes um, he basically in invented <laughs> written satire and he was friends with Hogarth so between them the two of them kind of allowed the, this great British tradition to really blossom um, and a lot of those early cartoons were really savage and um well, they weren't afraid to mock royalty. They no, weren't not afraid at all. To, yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, they were paid, um, got to a point where they were paid lots of money, like Patrick says, really sought after. They had to be such skilled draftsmen. And it, the thing is, it's quite a rare set of talents to have, um, especially once you had uh, newspaper cartoonists when... Um, in the in the kind of forties, fifties, when newspapers started getting regular cartoonists, you needed someone who was an amazing draftsman who could do caricature, who wasn't too precious, could work to an editorial line. You had to be able to work incredibly fast, um, and be interested in it, know about politics, be able to follow the news, come up with original comments, know right. what to say. It's it's such a a, a weird and and um, yes, you know, diverse package of skills. There simply yeah. aren't that many people around who have it all, and um, there aren't many people who want to do it in the first place. It's an incredibly unusual career to choose, and so. Uh, and the other thing, and you know, something I really kept trying to get across while I was working for the paper, and I, often it fell on deaf ears, is like, for the last ten years newspapers have gone through a completely uh, existential crisis. They didn't know what they were for. They didn't know who they were for, how they could make money. And they were trying to compete with um, various other types of media and platforms uh, that they just couldn't do. People weren't getting their news from newspapers anymore. And it's like, okay, look at what you've got that no one else has. One of those things is cartoons. People mm. can't find these kind of things anywhere else. It's mm. like a, a jewel in your crown, or it should be. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, they value them less and less. Now, they've they've kind of they've cut what they pay cartoonists, and they've they they are always talking about getting rid of the cartoon whenever there's a change in management or change in editor. It's the first thing that kind of is threatened by the knife. Uh, and it seems so stupid to me. It's like this is one of the the only things that's unique to you. Um, you know, like so many people say, "Yeah, I, I still buy paper, but only for the cartoons and the crossword." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the one, one of the, the the one that I think is, you know, the, a lot of these are 
some people would describe them as uh, genius. Uh, some of them in in their simplicity and how you cut, you can just cut right through with the most simple concept. One of them is where you bring a couple of things together. Was this one called Boo with the Ukrainian flag, and then you got Klaus Schwab sort of you know popping his head out. Um, he's pull, pulling the the, the Ukraine the, the the blue and the yellow apart, and he's sticking his head out. That that is amazing. Yeah. I've seen so many people they they put their own text to it. You know, they give their own caption to that. Oh right, yes. I quite I like it when that happens. Um, people add their own things. The same thing happened with the BBC uh, cow. Um, uh, lots of people took that and, and added the, whatever the broadcaster in their countries were to it. Um, yeah, simple. That's always the goal is to uh, come up with a, something you want to say or a concept and then you, you try and whittle it down to be as simple as, as possible. Um, sometimes that's not the kind of thing you're, that will work. For example, my latest one with 18 different characters in it. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the opposite kind of idea, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, the piece de la resistance on that has to be, there's a gentleman with a dark makeup on, uh, in that, that's right. That crowd scene Canadian. I yeah. think he is, he's a Canadian. I, it's, um, it, it's so great. such a gift that you can draw a completely absurd cartoon creation like that. It's a reflection of the times we live in, and he will be, he's probably more recognizable, instantly recognizable than anyone else in that picture. Everybody knows who that is. Well, that's the, um, the wild thing about when, that is, Bob, is that that is, for, for, a, for a liberal like Trudeau, that is the most yeah. outrageous, over-the-top thing you can do, and he... He's done it like four or five times, as far as anyone can see, and he doesn't. As far get, as we know, yeah. As far exactly, that's the only one's <laughs> photographed. Um, who knows? He could, he could, do, he could have a thing at night when he gets home, and he does a whole gets into character with the wife. Who knows? But yeah, <laughs> but, but 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 he never gets called out for it, and you know, for the left, that's like the cardinal sin. That's that's worse than going on a shooting spree. You know, they, well, they—they they, these people have totally destroyed um, people's careers for much less, haven't they? Oh yeah. Uh, but this is the thing, you know. And um, it's interesting. Some people in this country still aren't aware that of the of the blackface thing. Um, they haven't seen the pictures, so they'll be a bit taken aback and say, "How can you, you can't do that? How can you get away with drawing <laughs> yeah. him like that?" You go, "Well, have you seen these?" And, they, and they'll. <laughs> The reaction is usually, "How is he still in office?" Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> you go, yeah, exactly. That's the point. Um, now, with that cartoon, when I originally the original idea was only to have about five or six of the key players, and then I kept just thinking, oh, "I can't, you know, I can't leave out Blair. I can't leave out um, uh, all these different people." And so I kept adding and adding, um, and then it, it ended up being eighteen people, nineteen if you include Satan at the back there. And um, but but still, still you you have people saying, well, "Why have you left out Sturgeon or, or um, whoever it is, the uh, Italian guy?" And and you know, kind of saying, "Okay, give me a break." It would have taken me <laughs> too long um, to put in everybody. Uh, but that's a nice thing. Now I actually did that over two days, and that's something I can do now that I couldn't before because I'm not working to such a tight deadline. Mm. Um, I just I produce three cartoons a week, but 
you know, I can I can put them out on on what days I choose, and if I need to, I can spend longer on one. Um, whereas before, because you're what you've got is you know you start at nine a.m. with a blank page, and you'd have you'd have to submit something at uh, six half past six in the evening. You would often come up with ideas you really liked or that you'd love to do, but you'd just think I don't have the time to do this justice. Uh, so you'd have to shelve it. Um, and it's really nice to have that creative freedom now that I I can spend a bit longer if I want to. I can work in different shapes and sizes if I want to as well. Um, so it's very liberating. And uh, this this one uh, got a really good reaction when I shared it on our, our platforms. It's called Smugglers. And uh, you, you've got uh, to tell us about this this one and who's in it. I mean, you, you've you worked Zelensky yeah. into it. And so he's he's kind of worked his way into this menage of, you know, characters in, in recent months. Um, but yeah, yeah. To tell, us about, tell us about this he's, one. He's got, I just... Um, so I want to do something along the lines of that all of these policies being uh, um, implemented or voted in under the radar uh, that are going to have massive uh, negative impacts on our lives. So this idea of smuggling in tyranny, um, I liked. So I thought, let's do a kind of oldie style uh, pirate picture with, with them, with these barrels of tyranny and have all this motley crew of um, all the key players and um, it was the first time I'd ever drawn Jacinda Ardern for some reason I, did, I just never um, <coughs> had occasion to draw her before so that was really good fun and I, I kind of um, didn't hold back with her, <laughs> her caricature and uh, there's a, there was a lot of pent up aggression in that drawing yeah. Um, Unfortunately, and she's on the you have, Go ahead, go ahead, Bob. Um, Zelensky is a kind of cabin boy figure, and he's being handed a, um, a flintlock pistol by Biden, which is obviously, you know, a comment on the uh, filling Ukraine with weapons to stop the war. Um, and then. I'm trying to remember it now. I forget. I forget. You've got, Ma you've got oh, Mac oh, um, Macron in the Napoleonic kind of motif. That's right. Yes, uh, Napoleonic Macron at the back, and then Johnson throwing up over the side um, because he's been drinking and you know having all of his uh, lockdown parties, <laughs> and and then our friend uh, Blackface Trudeau at, at the front there um, carrying the light, which is a sort of a Luciferian. Um, reference uh but yeah that again it took that was quite a, a detailed involved one so it took um i think i did it today but just just about uh, maybe worked late into the night on it uh but it was it was good fun and that's been very popular and i've seen over the last few days a lot of videos on on BitChute and odyssey and things where people are using that as the kind of title card on the video so, so uh, you've been following the Ukraine situation. That's that's getting more uh, uh, postmodernist and farcical and insane uh, as each yeah. each week goes on. I mean, uh, we just saw what Bono in the Edge showed up. Everyone's showing up for a photo op in Kiev. Bono shows up, does a little impromptu concert in the underground station because I guess it was too dangerous 
uh, to do it uh, on, on the rooftops, right? I mean, but that's what, right. Did you did you catch that 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 stand, little stand by Ukraine? Yes, yeah. yes. Um, I saw that. Yeah, uh, uh, you just think, what is this? When since when did war zones become uh, these? pantomime uh you know episodes of just like you say farcical um all these celebrities and different people seem to be going there like they're visiting a zoo or something and um putting on shows as you see trudeau the other day uh, strolling about without without a mask on obviously because um you know you're safe in the the virus doesn't visit um war zones uh and, um, yeah, I mean, the thing about Ukraine, again, it was like um, we were thrown straight into it, weren't we? Um, as it seemed like, you know, the truckers happened, then everybody seemed to take a step back. It was like they eased off the gas on the whole um, virus tyranny and then immediately hit with Ukraine, literally, you know, the next day almost. And uh, my position I think was immediately just this is extremely suspicious and also how on earth are we supposed to negotiate this now? You have an immediate explosion of hypocrisy everywhere. You have these Western leaders who have spent two years trashing democracy, trashing bodily autonomy, saying freedom does not matter. Okay, you you have to be completely accepting of the most tyrannical, invasive measures from your government, suddenly saying we have to go to war to save the Ukrainian people from the exact kind of tyranny we've just been inflicting on all of you. And then the public go, yeah, oh yeah, d- democracy is so important. Let's, let's go and save Ukraine. And you go, this is nuts. We can't function like this as a society. You know, there are no heroes here. There are no good people. Um, we people had they've got such short memories now i don't know like they up until very recently the press here were 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 reporting on the corruption in ukraine um all of the criminal activity azov battalion the fact that there appeared to be this this nazi element not neo-nazi but you know genuine nazis and uh, oh no, that's not that's that we've forgotten that now, or or they're the good kind of Nazis, or that's all fine um, because they're protecting democracy. Uh, and you just think this is farcical. And um, so I'm, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make Zelensky into a joke figure because that's what he is. Yeah, it's surreal. He's he was a comedian two years ago, and now he's uh, yeah. at the country's most critical phase. They elect this guy, and it speaks a lot to you know the society in Ukraine that people must be that sort of ex- there was that exasperated with corruption and and didn't believe in in the the solutions could be found in politics that they thrust a comedian who played the president on TV, uh, thrust him into the leadership uh, of the country. And, but we're in the West. We think mm. that's a fairy tale story. I mean, this is, it's made by Hollywood, right? It's, we, we think it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. We think it's like, because we've been conditioned by the X factor and things like that, I suppose that, you know, the whole world is a game show now. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> geopolitics is just an episode of, Britain's Got Talent, apparently. Um, 
and inevitably, as you as you know, exactly, you you immediately get labelled a Putin apologist, and um, actually, that's one of the one of the early cartoons I did was uh, of um, uh, Biden and Johnson, and again, um, our friend Blackface Trudeau standing on a pile of corpses, um, just pointing uh, eastward, saying "Russian man bad." Um, that was right at the beginning and it proved very controversial and um, people were saying yeah but he is quite bad and I'd say yeah I'm not saying he's not bad I'm set- the point of the cartoon is that so are they and that's what you all appear to be missing here um, it's not I, you know I <laughs> It's a confusing situation, and um, it's not the same as the virus. It's uh, it's not the same as commenting on the pandemic. It's a it's a different thing. What's going on in Ukraine? Though clearly linked, they're, they're clearly um, the end result will will be uh, bad news for Western freedom in the same way that the pandemic was always going to be, um, but. Uh, you approach it in a slightly different way. I mean, there are there are real atrocities being committed, but it's like the question is who's committing them? No one's interested in actually asking that question. Yes. Um, yeah. Let's audit that. And uh, I think I, I, we've I've been auditing that very closely. I've shared some of my findings on the UK Column News uh, on on the Friday program that that I normally do with uh, Mike Robinson there. And um, the, you know, the civilian casualties in Ukraine are are incredibly low for a conflict of that scale involving that many uh, troops and combatants. I mean, ridiculously low compared to Libya, Iraq uh, or, you know, Yemen or any of these other conflicts that were either involved or backing. Um, But the thing the thing that blows my mind on this, Bob, is that if you go through England, uh, every single town and hamlet, they've at, at, at town halls, their little villages in Devon, they're flying the Ukrainian flag, and that's right. Yeah. And, and our politicians are shouting "Slava Ukraine," which is a ultra nationalist uh, slogan, battle cry. And in in just just a few years ago, with Brexit and all the rest of it, it anything that was remotely, I mean, you you wave the Union Jack, and everyone's that's nationalist, and it they yeah. decry <laughs> nationalism as this the worst of all sins in Western democracy. And here they are, they're everyone's parroting a radical ultra nationalist with with a kind of a Nazi underpinning to it, and as if as if and, and literally got their flag up in their front yards. And British won't even put their own flag up in their front yards. They they slag off the Americans for putting the stars and stripes on their front lawn, you know. It's yeah, incredible. Yeah, we mock the Americans' uh, the sanctity of the flag in, in, in the U.S. We kind of, um, we, we're always mocking that um, here. I, and yeah, it's incredible. I'm, I'm in rural um, Somerset and it's the same here. You, you can't go anywhere without seeing a Ukrainian flag on, in somebody's window or, um, you know, on the, there's a cafe up the road from us and they, they actually put a Ukrainian flag over the sign. So you couldn't even see that there was a cafe there anymore. And I think they've taken it down there. But it's like, you're not going to get any customers. You're willing to sacrifice all your business to proclaim your love for this country that you didn't know anything about uh, and and still don't probably. Um, 
Yeah, it's. I mean, the Slavo-Ukraini thing is uh, again this thing they they do now where it's 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 similar to. It reminds me of the clap for the NHS thing and and the sort of um, save lives. They give people these phrases and words to repeat almost ritualistically without thinking. Um, no, nobody bothers to stop and, and look at what does that phrase actually mean? Where does it come from? What are its connotations? It's just, oh, if we all shout this, we're virtuous people. You know, that's all that matters. So let's just shout it and put up our flags. Uh, I don't know if you saw, there was a great tweet going around uh, yesterday, I think, that I shared from somebody. It just said, um, it just said, I can't believe it's monkeypox season already. I've still got my Ukraine decorations up. Oh yeah, that's that's <laughs> that 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 mem is has changed form and it's 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 made its way out into the to the mem sphere. I mean, those they're not yeah. they're not winning colors though. You see, because uh, Ukraine is is getting really routed um, militarily. They've lost a third of their. Uh, country in terms of landmass, probably never going back as far as I can see. So, um, mm-hmm. it, you, but we're in the West. They've pushed this everywhere you look. It's it's blue and gold. They're supposed to be the winning colors. Basil it didn't work out for Leeds, did it? Yeah. Then we stayed up. We survived. Today. Oh, you did. Okay. Yep. Yep. So, so the blue and the gold are the, yeah, and white and, and white. white. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's not. They're not. It's not a winning story. That's the thing, but people are still kind of in a in this uh, mass formation sort of mode, I guess. Yeah. Although yeah, it's, but I it, it's started still, to crumble, the sanctions alliance in Western Europe. The Italians have decided to import more Russian gas and oil, and people want to start building bridges. And you know, I think the um, well, hopefully, and we had the uh, what is it, the WTA, the World Tennis Association, the the ATP. They, they are taking the ranking points away from Wimbledon because we've uh, banned the Russian players. And some of this anti-Russian racism mm. and vilification of individuals have absolutely nothing to do with government policy. It's been vindictive, absurd, and racist, frankly. Uh, yeah, I was going to do... I never put it out because I couldn't quite make it work properly, but in the beginning I had a cartoon that I was working on with... Um, with a, a Ukrainian refugee, like a little um, uh, little mother with her child, and they have the, the you know the flag on their suitcase or something, and then I I had a speech bubble and I wrote uh, help in Russian, and then I had a load of British thugs running at them saying they're speaking Russian, get them, <laughs> you know, which is right. very much the, yes. the vibe, you know, yes. for weeks it was just it, it's like but but <laughs> there's not. Uh, it's been like the anti-Russian sentiment amongst uh, elements of the British establishment has been going on for years. We documented it some years ago when uh, Russia got the World Cup and we didn't. And the following, after Prince William and David Beckham had been to the big FIFA meeting and uh, we were snubbed because we thought it was our turn. This was four, it would have been four years ago, the, the World Cup that yeah. was held four years ago. And the following week, uh, a Russian attaché was expelled for no obvious reason. It was so obvious a tit for tat. But this anti-Russian sentiment, I'm not sure where it comes from. We're supposed to be enjoying the peace dividend, aren't we? You know, the end of history after the collapse 
of the Berlin Wall. You know, when, when we were growing, well, say when I was growing up, Bob, I don't know how old you are, the only thing we had to worry about was the possibility of nuclear war as a result of this dreadful ideological divide between the West, which was capitalist, and, you know, the Soviet bloc, which was communist. Um, well, they're, yes. not, they're not communist anymore, you know, and yet over the last 10 or 15 years in particular, we've seen this animosity ramped up constantly. Uh, I find it rather disturbing and deeply sinister. Well, the thing is, without a boogeyman, you can't really uh, get a get a grip on, on people in terms of fear. You need to give people something to fear, don't you? Um, mm -hmm. And because without the fear, you can't really implement the control. Right. And so because we know that control is their agenda, this is part of the problem. Because we know how hell-bent they are on enslaving all of us in this tyrannical system of, of, of tra you know, this transhumanist digital nightmare, um, that we should be suspicious of anybody they point out and say, this person's bad, you should fear them. They want to get you. It's like you want to get us. You're our government and you're out to get us. You're more of a threat to us than these people over there are. That That's the that's the situation here, I feel. Um, no, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 th this has been the most glorious distraction the last three months. It really has. Yeah. It, considering what we just came out of came out of yeah yeah i mean what it uh, has been we've avoided is any serious examination uh front page examination of the ludicrousness and you know dreadful fallout of the last two years and particularly the toxic injections which i can't believe yeah. they're continuing to push in certain quarters even though uh, the Office of National Statistics published their full data last week, which said that the all-cause mortality rate is much higher amongst the so-called vaccinated than the unvaccinated. Yeah, I, I mean, mean... This has been the biggest propaganda it, exercise. I mean, I know the Russian propaganda thing has been monumental, but, you know, compared to the absence of any serious analysis of what's happened, uh, the victims of, of the jabs is absolutely breathtaking. Well, the gravity, the, the size of this crime is potentially, you know, potentially eclipses everything else. Anything else that's been done, I think, um, it's possible, you know. Yeah. And people don't, I think, some some people even on our side really aren't grasping just how serious it, it is, potentially, what's been done. And, you know, I know it's important to look at statistics and look at efficacy and... Um, uh, uh, you know, the point is that you can kind of. I'm happy to give them the idea that it works, even though they're wrong. It's like we don't we don't actually need that because the point is, a system was supposed to be in place. We had checks and balances that were meant to kick in to monitor any new drug. This is about the newest and most experimental and potentially dangerous drug ever given. Mm -hmm to human beings and it's been given to pretty much everybody and th those systems should have kicked in really really early i mean the trials the trials were blatantly a farce we know that now if there were honest trials it should never have got to rollout stage 
Um, but three weeks after they started giving this thing to people, it was clear that it was dangerous, and it was dangerous to an extent that anybody, uh, any any organization whose responsibility is to monitor these things should have pulled the plug right then. That's it. It's not, and it's not about, you know, people say, well, the important thing is people get to choose. They should choose. No, they shouldn't have been given the choice because this is too dangerous to give people that choice. That's the point. Um, that those people whose job it was to monitor this thing and, and to make sure that it wasn't over that threshold of danger are either catastrophically, unforgivably incompetent or they lied. Mm. Um, and and either way, you know that's that's all you need. It's not. It's nobody. This thing should never have gone anywhere near a human arm. And I don't. I I get quite annoyed with the, some of the caveats. You hear people say, "Oh, maybe it makes sense for the vulnerable." Um, you know, maybe if you're very old, uh, maybe wait until the trials are over. This kind of thing. I think no. I mean, if anything, the vulnerable are the very last people you should be giving it to. Yep. They, they're already ill, and it only appears to make people more ill. Um, right. I don't. Right. I they're, don't like they're, these caveats. You know? They're immunocompromised already, uh, so you, they're the last people that you would you should be giving the jab. I mean, it, a lot of it, Bob. It's this kind of almost. Uh, it's an article of faith, isn't it? That. Uh, Vaccines work. I, I, I even saw that hashtag yeah. trending on Twitter. Vaccines work. I mean, why are you putting this hashtag out? They must must be desperate to have to put that well, yeah. that hashtag out. You know. Was this recent? You, no, recently no. You er, saw early thing. on, early on, when well, they, during the rollout, they they were really kind of had a whole campaign to state what should be the obvious from their camp. It's almost like they had to. They had to kind of build their narrative from the ground up again. Um, so they said, vaccines yeah. work, vaccines work. You yeah. Know? yeah. Remember that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I had um, I had a conversation with, with the paper when I was still there near the beginning of the vaccine rollout. Um, you know, because they were really, to try, they kept trying to encourage me to do a, a, a cartoon celebrating the vaccine. And it was weird. <laughs> there was, as soon as the... As soon as the vaccine started, and like you say, it was immediately everywhere. The vaccine is a miracle. The vaccine is 100% effective. And as we know, all vaccines are safe and always have been. Um, as soon as they introduced that, there was a complete about turn on any criticism of the government and particularly Boris Johnson. And this idea came in that, oh, we forgive him for the lockdowns now because this vaccine is so amazing. You know, and he's he brought us the vaccine. So let's just forget about the thousands of people he's killed with lockdowns because now he's going to save so many millions of lives with this injection. And, and I ended up saying, look, I'm not going to do anything pro this vaccine. Um, um, my very early on, my godmother died after uh, the AstraZeneca jab. Um, before that, I was already suspicious. So, you know, I was... I had a real problem with this. So I, I said, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Um, I'll ignore it. Okay, I just won't, I won't do anything negative, but I'll just ignore it. And um, yeah, they, they said, well, yeah, look, we as a newspaper, we will not say anything against this vaccine ever at all. Yeah. I said, well, what do you mean ever? And they said, we will not be labeled anti-vax. That's it. That's, that's the end of it. And I said, 
but hardly anyone's had it yet. I mean, what if <laughs> what if millions of people die? And the the reply was they won't because vaccines are safe. Yeah, and that, you know, that was it. You just think you sound like complete lunatics. Oh my god! Um, yes, you wonder where that comes from. You know what? Yeah. what's behind that? Have they had a word? Has somebody have a had a word with them? You know. I, I think a lot of it's, it's it's conditioning, Bob. You know, the, there's been so much of an effort uh, for for decades to reinforce the uh, the the primacy and the kind of um, omnipotence of of vaccines. It, it, that's why politicians love them so much, Bob, because it's a turnkey solution, which politicians love. Let's face it: if they can just throw something on the table and then it's done. And you know, a lock. A, a, you turn the lock, and everything's set, fixed. That's the ultimate for a politician because there's no. They could just claim victory, and all I have to do is deliver the product. You know, kind of like the military in a way. Um, but that's. I, I yeah, think that's that, true. I, I think it's decades of this. This has been going on for decades, Bob. I think. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course it has. And, you know, it's not something I'd ever looked into before. And again, it's your your condition to immediately dismiss any notion that there are questions about vaccines. Um, the, 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 there was this fringe movement of people who didn't vaccinate their children that we were just supposed to believe were mad. You know, the same kind of mad people who home educate their children, mm-hmm. um, which I'm now one of those. Uh, Shock, shocking. And, and yeah, uh, and so that's that's how you think of this. And but don't you think? I mean, what do you guys think about the risk? Sometimes we overlook, I think, the risk that these people are, are taking. I, I, I think it speaks to how incredibly arrogant and confident they are that they won't be found out. But if you just look at the vaccine thing, if the truth of what's happened comes out with these vaccines, it, it could potentially destroy the vaccine industry forever. And you think they must have been willing to take that risk. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, beyond that, sorry. Bob, beyond that, it could destroy confidence in government forever. It, it in government, can, and, yeah. In politi- yeah. Especially this, this lot of politicians. I mean, it literally could be, if let's say, let's say in five years and then you see fertility drop off, off a cliff uh, in in the countries where there's a high uptake of vaccines and you have the all-cause mortality and the death and early death and the myocarditis, all the rest of it. But, you know, the fertility issue is is a big one. Uh, the, the, The ramifications of that in terms of the potential blowback could be huge unless unless that space is being occupied by something else. Um, in terms of... Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Monkeypox will be making us infertile in a couple of weeks. Uh, Mm. Monkeypox will be causing heart attacks and strokes and blood clots. Yeah. There you go. You you, you should be working for the Behavioral Insights team, Bob, I think. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Your talents are... (laughs) They're much needed there. So... um, Yeah, so you're again. You're you're getting ahead of you're getting ahead of it. But but actually, you know, you're the the, the I think the important point. Let's just keep this on a uh, you know a functioning uh, political uh, democratic mm. fundamental level. What you said before about the MHRA or in the U.S. with the FDA, there the yeah. those agencies were born out of 
the uh, workers' rights movement in the early uh, 20th century, 1920s. That's when those agencies were formed to protect the workers from the rapacious, uh, you know, robber baron types that literally, like Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, you know, uh, employees ending up in the sausage uh, machine and they keep the machine running. You know, that's what, yeah. it was cruel. And so they brought in, and drug, uh, the drug manufacturers were, you know, this is before uh, recalls were easy to do. You know, it could be potential population level disasters with some of the stuff that they were putting out, asbestos, uh, radion, all this all the crazy stuff in the early 20th century. Yeah. That's why there's regulatory agencies. So they've completely become like... They become part of this the the thing that they were originally designed to protect against. They become a, an agent of that, I think. Which is the case with a lot of different um, areas of of society now, and different institutions, different bodies have have become exactly that. What you said, they uh, the thing they're supposed to prevent or the thing they're supposed to oppose is actually what they are. You know. Mm. Um, yeah, you see yeah. with education, with politicians, the church, you know, all of these, um, all of these institutions are kind of just, uh, just rolling around in double think all the time. Um, yeah. uh, yeah, I, you're right. You know, it could, it could kill confidence in politicians, in science. I mean, science itself. The whole idea of science has taken such a beating. And again, you think they can't have, they must have known that they were risking this, that that there was a chance people would reject uh, science as a, as a kind of discipline after this, um, which in itself is dangerous, you know. The science. That science. The science. Yeah, so you're talking about real science, but the, it's the science which which I think a lot of people have caught on to that. That's a nuance that a lot of people have caught on to. And I, I'm really impressed with, you know, just the general um, population has caught on to some of these nuance points. And it's really kind of disarmed uh, some of these political luminaries, you know, because early on they're able to play these sort of sleight of hand tricks with words and, you know, feigning authority and all this stuff. And now the the general population, the general working populate population, sees right through it, and it's it's becoming a lot tougher for them. I think um, this if if they, if a round two's coming, Bob, I think it's going to be a little bit tougher. What what do you what do you what are your feelings on this? With we got a couple minutes left, we've gone a little bit long on this conversation, but it's been fantastic. But it, it last couple minutes, Bob, monkeypox, smallpox. Another COVID yep. round in the fall. How do you think that this is going to play out? Because things aren't the same as they were two years ago. No, this is the big question over it. I mean, it's not that we shouldn't have been in any doubt that they were going to try something again. Um, we know there are no lengths they won't go to to try and see their agenda pushed through. But the big question now is how are the people going to react? Um, are they just going to fall for it again are they are they going to succumb to the fear again and and, and start the performing the theatrics um 
I, I don't know. I'd like to believe not many of them will. It's very true what, what you said there about the general working population, not not um, journalists, not not commentators, generally not uh, the elites, the, like the middle classes, working people who generally had an easy time of lockdown and things. They're, they're intelligent on paper, but there's a real lack of wisdom there. Whereas you yeah. speak to working people, yeah. I think in this country and probably in the States as well, all over the place, they are wise to this stuff. They pick up on that. They, you know, they, they can tell when they're being lied to. They can smell the BS from a mile off. And I hope that enough of them are just are not going to buy it this time and, and say no. I don't know how much truth there is in all it takes is, you know, mass civil disobedience. Um, it depends a lot on how far the, the people in power are prepared to go to force this through. Um, but it's a start, isn't it? You know, just having enough people ignoring it. Um, this is the thing about monkeypox. I kind of, I'm almost at the point where I, I think I don't want to know. I don't even want to read anything about what it is. I don't even want to see a graph or how it transmits. Or everybody should just be saying, "Get lost." I couldn't you know, agree more. We don't. The, the World Health Organization should be disbanded. We don't need one, and we we sure as hell don't need a treaty where they can just uh, shut us down whenever Anthony Fauci shouts the word pandemic. <laughs> yeah, or worse, when the media pressures them to 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 declare a pandemic. I mean, gosh, the media is on autopilot. You know, they're they're dangerous as anything. But um, you 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 would know um, that's your former ha habitat, um, Bob. You were uh, you were. It's a bit of a the, the pressure. I mean, to be honest, the impression I had was that the pressure is has been a two way street. So on the one hand, that yes. Um, there's been certain journalists appear to have been pushing for tougher restrictions and asking all the wrong questions in the press conferences. But people should bear in mind that financially newspapers have all been propped up by, and this is true in this country and in Canada, maybe in the States as well, I don't know, but they're propped up by the government advertising. That has been their main revenue through this. Mm -hmm. And there have been lots of meetings with editors of Fleet Street have gone to Downing Street um, throughout this, been briefed by the, the scientific advisors and then the Prime Minister and basically said, you've got to get him on board with this next phase. You've got to support this next lockdown. You've got to support the tier system. Um, and I don't think they didn't, they didn't say, oh, we'll withdraw our money, but that's obviously what the situation is. So it's a two-way street with this. You know, it's not that there has been pressure from the government on the media too. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it is, it's, it's a big, uh, they've been subsidizing the media actually. A, a lot of, a lot of places would have been laying people off, uh, in the last couple of years, but the government has, uh, kept the budgets uh, somewhat balanced with the mainstream yeah. media outlets. But mm. yeah, that's, which again is why it was such a perfect time to be doing this. Like so many other reasons is they, they had, um, certainly a print media that was financially on its knees, which has made them incredibly vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yes, and uh, gosh, yeah, we, uh, well, we know a lot more than we did uh, two years ago, and to be, to be uh, informed is to be forearmed, and uh, we want to thank you for 
your role in this uh, educating people, waking people up, uh, raising the the conversation, the level of awareness uh, with your work, Bob. Um, it's it's been incredible, and uh, you know the great thing is <laughs> it continues. Uh, you're you're going to be at it. So uh, as we want to point people to your work, BobMoran.co.uk. Uh, you've also got a That's few right. social media channels. You're you're on fire on Twitter. I noticed this week. Um, we've been retweeting your stuff. But uh, give us give us a shout out uh, about how they can support you. Um, what what other channels you're on? Okay. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, most of all, I have my biggest audience on Twitter, probably, and I uh, post on there a lot. Uh, I try and post on Getter as well. I'm not as good at that but i i uh, i am on getter uh facebook instagram i have a telegram channel i had to shut down the chat unfortunately because the the spam was ridiculous oh, yeah. uh, i'll try and start that up again if i can <laughs> and yes you go to my website uh bobmoran.co.uk i sell original artworks there all my stuff is hand done so i actually produce physical artworks which you can buy um you can order prints and there's a link to my merch shop so you can get uh, T-shirts and sweaters and things like that, hoodies. There. Um, and you may see my work published in any any kind of newspaper or blog or website because I'm offering it to everybody free for those purposes now, which is another great thing Wow! about my job yeah. that I'm doing now. That's uh, that was a big move. I remember when you did that, um, and your stuff is is proliferating. Let's just say it's being reproduced at a at a rapid rate uh, across all platforms. Um, so you're kind of a pioneer. You're one of the pioneers in, in that sense. You're, so that's great. It's a bit of a yeah. It's a bit of an experiment, and maybe it wouldn't have worked before. Um, but with the way the world has changed, people are seeking new forms of media, new sources of information. Um, and, you know, one of the cool things is how many um, small media outlets have sprung up over the past couple of years or or gained momentum and, and gained a following because they've been brave enough to say what needs to be said, like um, the conservative woman, for example, TCW in this country. Um, you have things like the Light Paper, uh, UK Column, you know, all of these people. Yeah. Uh, hello. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I lost you there for a second. No, that's you know, a, um, yeah. Go ahead. And I, I, I really wanted to be able to support them, um, and and allow them to use my work and have these quality artworks without having to pay. Because most, a lot of them are almost voluntary, right? They're not, they're not making loads of money. It's people giving up their time to do really important work. So. Um, I was really happy to get the opportunity to just be able to let people have my work. And, you know, um, I'm paid enough that I don't have to go and uh, stack shelves in the supermarket. I can I can still stay up here in my attic drawing away day after day. No, that's that's amazing. And let's let's hope that uh, you will. Well, we know you, you will continue from strength to strength. Uh, your work is developing as the world develops, as the narratives develop. So you develop with it, which is also the incredible thing about being a, a real time commentator, a real time artist that, that uh, in the in the game you're in, you uh, you get better with age like a fine bottle of uh, 
Clear it, right, Basil? Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, I suppose I should just point out on that note that um, a lot of people assume I'm about 75 years old. And um, I'm actually, only, how old am I now? 36. So I've got a ways to go yet. Was it? Yeah, like you said before at the beginning of the segment, you said that uh, that you're as a political cartoonist with the mainstream. Once you get that gig, you're expected to basically keep like what was that? Yeah. Remember General MacArthur, Basil? He said, "Old heroes don't die; they just fade away." But that's same, right. Same with political <laughs> cartoon. But you're not fading away, Bob. You're uh, you're in an explosive explosive phase right now. So it's been incredible. So quickly, remind me who your predecessor was at the Telegraph, because uh, there was um, Adams was the main cartoonist before right. I took over. Yeah, he's at the uh, Evening Standard now. Right. And then before I went to um, went in 2011, uh, Nick Garland had Nick been Garland, the main cartoonist right. for a long time. That's yeah. right. He'd been there since the 60s. Yeah, uh, and he was about. Uh, 75, 80, I think, at that yeah. time. Yeah, I, I remember the days of Giles uh, That's in right. the Daily yeah. Express and Gabbard in The Guardian. Yeah, and I'm these guys were, <laughs> like we were saying, these guys were paid big, big money. Yeah. And they were household names. And um, unfortunately, <laughs> I started doing it at the wrong time. Um, well, well, yeah. yeah. Well, or you know, the right time, or the right time, uh, if you want to look at it a different way. Yeah, yeah. A lot. Of, there's a lot of people like that. Um, I remember it was uh, James Dellingpole said in an interview. He said, "I, I, I was, I was. If if I would have got that column with one of the mainstream, you know, that's how when he grew up when it was more dominated by print. And he's looking. That was yeah. a kind of a goal for a lot of journalists. Is just just get that column in the one of the big ones, and then you can kind of surf off that. And life life's generally stable uh, once you reach that sort of benchmark. But then that kind of disappeared yeah. <laughs> for everybody, for a lot of people. But he said because of his politics, that basically that option wasn't there. Um, but it, you know, like right. like you say, uh, Bob, the other other opportunities open, other paths. Um, have opened uh, in the in, yeah. in the meantime. That's the thing. If James had been born in a different era, we would have been deprived of the awakened James Dellingpole, right? This wonderful <laughs> character, you know, that we all love and need. So it's yes. good. It's good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he his he has a massive audience now, like globally, as you do as well, uh, as so many other people uh, do that have uh, taken taken the uh, the bull by the horns, have have risen to the challenge. Uh, uh, on this yeah. this issue and other issues, but uh, I think we're going to wrap it up this week for the Sunday Wire. Bob Moran, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been a great discussion. No, thank you, thank you. And uh, we're going to take a break right now with ACR, and we're going to come back for Overdrive and wrap it up. Uh, I'm here with Basil Valentine in studio. I'm your host Patrick Kenningson. Stick around. We'll be right back after this station break. <laughs> 